Welcome to this edition of the B2B Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by Candice Edelin. She is the CEO of Propel Growth, actually based here locally. It's love to have someone local here in Colorado on the show uh, out of Fort Collins. I first actually encountered Candice at uh, Full Funnels B2B marketing event a number of months ago, and I followed her content out on LinkedIn for a while. I love her approach. I love your approach uh, to LinkedIn, and we are going to just dive into all sorts of juicy tactical stuff today, I'm sure. So thank you for being on today. Thanks for having me, Morgan. This is exciting. Yes, uh, I'm very excited too. So where I think I really wanted to start because of the content that I've seen from you and what we've discussed before in all of our DMs back and forth together (laughs) is what do you think are the major mistakes people make when they start to use LinkedIn as a sales platform or as a prospecting platform. Like what are the top recurring mishaps sales professionals make or, or even marketing professionals make trying to use LinkedIn? You know, I think it's mindset. Mm. Um, you know, in marketing for the last, what, 20 years or whatever time marketing automation has been a thing We've been taught this idea that you can do one-to-many messaging and get results with it. And that used to work, you know? I mean, you could send out an email to 500 people and you'd get like a bunch of responses in Uh 2006. Mm -hmm. Um, And that started to decline in terms of response rates over time. But our, our solution to that was to increase the volume of the messages we send the frequency of them and and try to get people to subscribe so that you're actually sending content to people who want to hear from you. And that dramatically increased the rates. Um, And so people turn to LinkedIn and they take those same principles and they play a volume game on LinkedIn, which totally makes sense because everything that we've learned says that we have to play a volume game. Otherwise, we're not going to get enough results. I was just um, chatting back and forth on DM on LinkedIn with a guy about um, call connect rates. And um, Tyler Lindley, I think it was, had um, published a a report that said that call connect rates right now are below 1.5%. And it's like, oh, kill me now. No (laughs) kidding. Well, this guy completely disagrees with that number. And says that, you know, if you do it right, if you train your SDR properly, if you've got a better list, a a phone-ready list, and, you know, if you're using the tools to connect you to more people, you should be getting closer, a a higher rate. So I reached out to him over DM and I said, what's the rate? And he's like, (laughs) between 10 and 15%. Okay, so that's way better than 1.5%, but it's still a volume game, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm going to do 100 calls to get 10 connects to get maybe one meeting, I've got to do the 100 calls to get the one meeting. Um, And so they take that mindset that is true in anything else that we're doing and take it to LinkedIn and say, I've got to send 100 connection requests and 100 DMs to get one person to respond to me. The thing is, on LinkedIn, that's not actually true. 
if you reduce the volume and spend the time to get personal, and so going back to the volume before I go there, like if I'm going to send a hundred, I don't have time to research every single person. Like there are not enough hours in the day to research everybody. So I've just got to have my spiel. And it's like the, the, um, the pitch, um, pitch slap, right? (laughs) And that Uh is like the worst thing you can do on a DM in LinkedIn or a connection request. But that's what people do. They, they pitch slap and then they go buy a bot and let the bot do the pitch slapping for them. And if they get a 2% response rate, they think that that's better than what they were getting in cold calling. So it works. <laughs> it right? works so much better, right? Yeah, oh, right. It's 100% better. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> but going back to the volume thing, like I don't want to piss off 99 people to get that one meeting. Because in my my experience, usually we have pretty limited target markets. And if I piss off 99 people a day, I'm going to run out of prospects really quickly. <laughs> it's so true, though. I think people, what I see in like sales professionals who do the volume game, who do leverage LinkedIn by sending templated stuff or using bots to do that, they underestimate the or they overestimate the amount of people in their market and they underestimate the impact a cold pitch slap makes on that relationship when instead there's a clearly an alternative. So if when, so instead of doing this volume game, you had brought up personalization, what sort of connect rates do you see when you actually personalize and how do you go about building that smaller, more intimate account list so that you can accurately personalize and do the research. Okay, so I'm going to use a number here that I've been accused is just hyperbole and marketing, you know, whatever, lies. Mm -hmm. Um, I get a 71% connection, not not connection acceptance, but meeting acceptance rate. So the way that I do that is I reach out with a connection request, very personalized. Like I'm going to actually go look for a nugget on your profile. Or if I can't find a nugget on your profile, then I'm going to go hunt for you on the web and find a podcast you were on or a blog post you wrote or something you wrote on Quora or something like that. If I can't find that, then I'm going to go to your company's website and I'm going to look for your bio and see if there's something there. If I can't do that, I'm going to resort to your company news. And if there's nothing there, then I'm going to go to industry news. I am going to find a (laughs) nugget that is a way for me to start a conversation with you. And note, I said start a conversation, not sell. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find a nugget that I believe you will have interest in based on my research on you. And I'm going to send you a connection request that brings up that nugget and tries to strike up a conversation. And then my DM is just a follow up on the question that I asked you in your connect in your connection request. If you haven't already responded, most do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I get a meeting and most of the time I get a meeting with a connection request and one to two DMs. Wow. And it's and the the way the ask is, would you like to get acquainted and talk about whatever that nugget is? And they're like, yeah, because it's something that they're interested in. It's like Dale Carnegie 101, right? You mm-hmm. know, talk to people about what they're interested in. And you know what? You'll make a friend and they'll want to engage with you. And so mm-hmm. then I get a meeting. 
it's not freaking hard. But people like overcomplicate it. And they're like, I don't have time to do the research to go find those nuggets. I'm like, well, no, not if you want to do 100 requests. But Mm -hmm. if you're going to get a meeting two out of three times, or let's say only one out of two times, then it's worth taking the time because you don't have to work so bloody hard. (laughs) No kidding. So, so in preparation of your research, do you start with, so for like a B2B seller, you know, lots of sales professionals and marketers have some sort of ideal client profile, ICP, Mm -hmm. persona, et cetera. And then that could be an account and an individual company. And then there are leads or individual folks at that account. So, how do you go about deciding who to prioritize? And and obviously over time you can get to everyone, but what is like your target number of people every day? And how do you decide who to go after first? Is it based on their activity or whether they're easier to find? I'm just kind of picking your brain about some of the specifics of, of creating that target list that you're actually doing research for and, and personalizing a connection request with. Those are awesome questions. Um, So first of all, you already brought up account-based strategy. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's essential. Like figure out who your ideal accounts are. Understand what makes an ideal customer, you know. And then if you don't have that list already, spend some time to figure that out. Because this will work better if you're chasing ideal accounts. Then... Figure out who your buyer personas are and what are the drivers for them? What are the triggers? What makes them ideal? Um, What makes them engage? What makes them look for solutions? Make sure that you have that insight ahead of time. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if your typical buying committee is four members, I would definitely know who those four members typically are from a role basis. Mm -hmm. And honestly... LinkedIn sales navigator search functionality is not perfect. Far from it. Just do a search for the current CEO of IBM and see how many hundreds of current CEOs of IBM there are. And you'll understand that the sales navigator function is not very good. Yeah. But um, it still helps. Um, but like if you can go use Zoom Info or some other tool to identify those target accounts and the target buyer personas and then go look them up in LinkedIn, I find that that's a more effective way. Then your next question is, who do you target first? Um, in my experience, um, awareness of a pain point bubbles up. It doesn't start at the top. It bubbles And it's like one person over here and one person over there. And then somebody else starts feeling the pain and then it starts to grow and bubble. Well, if you can actually uncover some of that early pain as it's starting to bubble, you can probably kind of add some carbonation underneath it (laughs) and build more demand for your product. The other thing is that, um, There's a lot of evidence out there. Um, Corporate Executive Board did research on this a few years ago that um, if you get into a buying cycle at the early stages and are the vendor who forms, helps the buyer form the vision, you are um, much more likely to win that account. Um, The research that they did found that 74% of large ticket 
technology purchases in corporate buying situations went to the vendor that originally helped them form the buying vision. (laughs) So sometimes it's hard to get a hold of a senior buyer before the awareness is bubbled up high enough. And if the bubbling carbonation has already occurred, then um, you might be kind of late getting into the buying cycle. And when you start to compete, about 24% of deals go to a competitive bake-off. So I'd rather be in the 74% than the 24%. It's going to mean a longer sales cycle, but if I fill my funnel with more of these, then I'm more likely to meet my long-term goals. Typically, I won't get into price competition either. And so it's, it ends up being more profitable deals, more consistent close rates, and mm-hmm. um, deals that are a better fit. So by starting lower in the organization, for one thing, it's easier to get conversations with those people early 100%. stage. Mm-hmm. And you can start uncovering what some of those pain points and those little bubbles are so that you can start then to navigate to other parts of the organization that might also be feeling some of those bubbles and add your carbonation, right, to well, and get I, more of those to bubble up. This is the yeah. first time I've used that metaphor. How's it working? I, I love it. It's such a good way to, to visualize it. And what I love, too, is that the, the purpose after you prioritize, you do your research and you outreach, and, and the way you get on a call, that call is not really a sales pitch and it's not even a discovery call you're as a professional you're able to do market research and connect with someone and build a relationship with them Um, or at least that's how i see it so when after you you know we're sort of trotting down the sequence here so you know after you've built your list and you've done your research and you've connected and you've that acceptance request is connected and you've had a little chat and would you like to get acquainted get on a call what what do you like to focus that call on? Obviously, you've already had this value play. You've done your research. You've taken an interest in that person. So that feels good. But do you drive the conversation towards uh, a, a, an additional conversation or learning more about the company? Um, how do you think about placing your company in the context of that conversation? Because obviously, you eventually want to sell, but you don't want to be the salesperson who's always like pressuring in that in that process. Exactly. You want to start a relationship and then mm-hmm. go to a sale. So um, this takes strategy and planning up front. Before you ever send the connection request, you need to have a plan. So when you're looking for a nugget about a reason to connect, like somebody just connected with me today. And she brought up the fact that I lived in Japan and studied Asian religion in college. Well, first of all, I was super impressed that she actually read my profile rather than just pitch slapping me. Yeah. But if you're trying to sell technology, you've now trapped yourself. Because I want to have a conversation about Japan and Asian (laughs) studies, not about buying your marketing tech, right? Now, in her case, it wasn't too bad because she's actually a coach, a life coach, mm. you know, so she could probably get somewhere from there. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't because I'm not Buddhist, I'm Christian, and so then it didn't work for her. But it was a good <laughs> shot. It was a really good shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was super impressed with that. But one of the things that you have to be careful about is not setting yourself up for a trap. So like mentioning that their favorite, your favorite sports team is their alma mater is 
probably not going to allow you to move the conversation forward. So I look for nuggets in their um, profile. So for example, when I first started building this um, best practice about how to do LinkedIn outreach, I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. I was just trying to build a business. Um, But I was reaching out to commercial real estate technology companies. Now, I did not have any network in that space. Before that, I had built a business in the financial services industry off the back of two other startups that I'd co-founded in fintech. So I had like this huge network and like tons of referral business. I was a a recognized quote unquote expert. I'm using air quotes for everybody, Um, (laughs) you know. Um, in the space. So publications would take my content and I was getting speaking opportunities. I helped organize a major um, national conference in the space. So I literally didn't make a sales call for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then I brilliantly decided to pivot the company to something where I had no network and I had to start over. So I was using LinkedIn to start over because I hate cold calling. Um, and what I was doing was rather than just trying to go pitch slap people about, you know, we can do your marketing for it for you. I knew I needed to develop some expertise in that industry in order to have the credibility to do their marketing. And so I started reaching out to them um, from a technical layer a little bit about data driven decision making trends that are starting to affect commercial real estate. And I would find something in their profile around data-driven trends, because that's what I wanted to write about. And then, you know, ask them like how that movement toward that trend and toward more hedge fund investors coming into real estate, into commercial real estate and things like that were affecting their business. And so then I was able to get into a conversation with them and talk about that And that gave me a way to, as we're talking and I'm asking them questions about, well, how does this affect you? How does it affect your business? How does it affect you personally? Then I could transition to, do you think that the way you're doing content needs to change in your marketing as a consequence of these new trends? So good. (laughs) Just the other night, Nick and I, we're chatting with uh, a few SDRs about you have to get the the client or the prospective buyer to say that they have a problem in their own words before right. you're able to show them a path to your solution, arguably. And you're able to basically accomplish that by striking up a conversation and building a relationship first. And then if the fit is right, you're able to introduce the solution when the when the time is right, um, whether that was for commercial real estate or any of this other prospecting motion that we've gone through. That's just brilliant. It's great. Exactly. So here's another trick that okay. I did then, and I've repeated it with another industry since, and it works really well. This is awesome for marketers, um, but it's also awesome where you're needing to create content to support this whole process. Because none of this works if you don't have an overall LinkedIn profile that's engaging. Like, you're not going to book appointments with people if your profile is really salesy or, you know, you um, talk about, you know, how you 
get um, 25 cold, you know, meetings a week and, you know, you're like this cold calling king and stuff like that. Yeah, they're not going to want to talk to you because they know you're going to treat them like a number and you're going to pitch slap them. Mm -hmm. So your profile is not your resume. Your profile is a sales tool and it needs to be treated as such. Then also your activity is super important. Like what you're doing on LinkedIn is important, what you're posting. So I was using those conversations to create content. And then I would post about the conversations and that made it easier for me to book the next appointment. But also marketers, I wrote a research report on this. I actually wrote three articles that got then picked up by trade publications in commercial real estate where I was unknown (laughs) because I was having enough conversations Like literally, I was having more conversations than the professional analysts were having. I had 125 conversations in the commercial real estate space in six months. Just me by myself, a couple hours a day, reaching out (laughs) on LinkedIn. I booked 125 calls. Well, I I take notes. I type pretty fast. Um, I didn't record those. In retrospect, I probably would next time because you get a little bit more detail and capture the customer's voice more effectively. But um, I took detailed notes and then I started going through those notes um, Christmas time 2018 and um, was like just kind of filtering through them because one of the publications that had been publishing a couple of other articles I'd written on trends on co-working, like I was actually able from those conversations to predict um, WeWork's demise. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I wrote a 5,000 word article that was published on a trade publication three years ago, it's still bringing leads in today. Wow. I think what's so interesting though, and this is, it's not, I mean, for an individual sales professional, it's unlikely that, I mean, they could, but sometimes there's like the inner battles about who does what marketing sales, et cetera. So we can gloss over that for the second, but what you're, but what I love about this approach is you're putting the customer's insights first, you're letting them speak in their own words, and then you're repurposing those words in a way that can move the sale forward and yeah. also build value, demonstrate value, advantage, build trust, all the good brand stuff that companies need to do through their sales teams, through the marketing teams. And that open path of communication directly from the customers also allows you to position your services in a way that makes sense for them, which I see as a mistake a lot of the time where we, and I'm, I've been guilty of this, this has been earned wisdom, which means I screwed it up for some time. Uh, it, you know, We make it about ourselves and how great we are and how great our product is, when in reality, nobody really cares. And that's not, it's nothing personal, it's just people are too busy in their own lives to sort through the noise and understand how you're different and why they should care. And now you're able to take their own language from these conversations, from these calls, and use that in a way generously to position your service, to position yourself that makes sense to them. So when they see it, they're like, nah, I got it. (laughs) I understand what she does. I know what she could do for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the most important things that I've gotten out of all of this is learning to speak the customer's language and use their words Because I find that if I use their language and the way they articulate things in the next conversation that I have with someone else, 
then they're going to have an aha moment that might not have happened if I'd used my own vernacular. But then also, you know, we need to be posting and writing on LinkedIn and you can literally just take what they said and write, you know, you don't need to quote them. You don't need to tag them. Just say, I had a conversation with a guy from a um, commercial real estate tech company in California who said X and use his exact words. And if you don't like to write, you could make a quick video clip. You know, you don't have to like turn this into a massive research project like I did. You literally could get off the phone with the, the prospect and then really quickly like recap three major points from the conversation and there's your post for the day. And that's going to totally resonate with the people that are like that person. And so then you'll get inbound connections too. And it's going to get easier. The flywheel starts getting into motion. Mm -hmm. This gets easier over time. Mm -hmm. So after you've had this initial conversation, you've booked a call off of the original meeting. It's not necessarily a discovery call. You get to know them. It's a relationship building activity. You get some more insights into their situation. What does the follow-up cadence look like? Obviously, it, it can depend whether that initial call went really well and whether they're qualified and all the rest of it. But how do you think about pacing the sale after that original um, sort of relationship building call? How do you tend to follow up? What do you see works? I'm sure there's some differentiation depending upon the industry, but I'd love your insights on that. So first, um, I have a... Um template that I follow all the time for planning the call. Having a plan before you get on the call is so important. And I, I sometimes skip that step and it's always to my detriment when I skip it. Um, so the template is, you know, okay, what's going to be my elevator pitch? I need a 30 second elevator pitch that is in the, I'm going to frame a story from the, that customer's point of view. So if I've helped another company that's really similar to them, then I'm going to frame my elevator pitch from that. It's not going to be some standard elevator pitch. Um, and I'm going to have three questions that are related to the topic, the purpose for the conversation. I'm going to deliver on my promised purpose, always deliver. And I'm going to plan to speak 30% and, and listen 70% of the time. And that's like, that's even on my template, you know. I'll have three questions that are going to help bring home some pain points. Um, if I'm going to talk about a trend, for example. Um, and then what I find is if I ask them a lot of questions during the call and let them do most of the talking, 20 minutes into our 30-minute call, almost like invariably, it's like, you know, Candace, this has been really fun, but I've done all the talking, enough about me. Tell me about you and your company and how can I help you? So I'm not going to go overboard there. I'm not going to pitch slap them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give them a one minute reference story. Again, it's planned. It's going to be based on a company that were a person that was similar to them. And then I'm going to say, would you like to, you know, book time to talk about this further? Do you think this would be helpful for your company? Or if during the questions, because I've planned those questions to try to uncover some pain points subtly, you know, if they say, yeah, you know, this data-driven problem is a huge issue, and then I might say, you know, what are you doing about content? And so then if they are going to say, yeah, we need content about this, then I might transition it. Hey, Morgan, 
you know, you mentioned that content is a problem. Would you like to talk about that further in another call? I don't try to sell them in that first call. I'm really respectful of that half hour. I assume they've got another meeting booked right on the back of that. But I'll take the last five minutes of that 30 minutes to plan our next step. Now, there's this guy, Mike. Actually, Mike is the first person that I reached out to on LinkedIn who responded to me and I got a meeting with him. Um, I met with Mike because every conversation I had with him, I would share some of the insights I was gaining from all the other conversations I was having. And he wanted to hear that. So he found those conversations with me valuable. I had a conversation with Mike every month for 10 months before he bought something. Wow. Now, during those 10 months, I probably pitched and put out proposals four times with him. It wasn't that he wasn't interested in buying from me. It's that I just hadn't landed on an urgent enough need until 10 months in. And I got frustrated with him and said, Mike, you need to stop what you're doing and let me take over your marketing. And he's like, okay. Um, so I think patience is going to be really important in this because you don't know when they're going to be ready, when the pain has bubbled up enough that there's enough, it's felt far enough and wide enough in the organization that they're willing to trade money to fix the pain, um, or to change what they're doing because change costs too. And it's not just the investment, but the the um, human capital investment to make the change is usually a higher price tag than whatever money they have to put out for what they're what you're planning to help them with. So um, I find that being patient it, it doesn't necessarily help your Q1 goal, but it's definitely going to help your Q4 goal. Right. Um, and if you have enough of those conversations you're going to find people with a Q1 urgency. Mm. That's brilliant. I love that. Because one thing I hear a lot from sales leaders who manage SDR teams, AE teams, people who are basically doing this outbound prospecting manually <laughs> or with a bot for some uh, you know, automation, which I want to get to in a second, uh, a lot of them don't understand how content creation, engaging, commenting, all the rest of it actually pays off in the long run. Or or similarly, even what we're just talking about is building a relationship with someone and getting on a call and talking with them and understanding their exactly. pain points is not going to hit quota this week. Like it's just not you. I mean, it's just, that's just not how the game is played, but it's going to probably build something for the long run where to your point, somebody's ready to buy, they're going to think of you because you've built the trust and the credibility with them and you're the right fit for that problem anyways. That's exactly. It's that no like trust kind of process, right? You get to know them on the first call and hopefully they'll get to like you too. And then you'll build up, but they're not going to necessarily trust you to solve their problems just because you had one conversation (laughs) with them, especially if it's a complex big, hairy problem, mm-hmm. um, which in most technology sales, we're, we're solving fairly big, hairy problems. Mm-hmm. Um, same with consulting services. Do you do like asynchronous follow-ups? So basically, after the call, 
you're not waiting. Let's say they said, yes, let's get on another call to talk about something. Do you do additional value provision? Like you send along an article you found that you think that would be of value to them, or are you basically only sticking to calls as, as the cadence in which you're delivering value? I'm just trying to think. So that's really important. Um, and when I was first doing this, I was just using LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good way to completely lose track of your prospects. Um, I was so glad that your partner, Nick, showed me how to use Sales Navigator more effectively to keep track of those conversations that are buried in my inbox that I've forgotten to reach out to somebody. But there's just not a good way in LinkedIn to keep track of those conversations. So one of my first things that I do now is to try to get them on my email nurture list. And I've created emails that for me, they provide LinkedIn prospecting tips. They're really valuable. Like people complain to me when the nurture sequence ends, that kind of value. (laughs) That's good. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, well, then buy my stuff, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, what I think that we, we tend to do too much salesy stuff in email sequences and they're not ready to buy yet. So you need a nurture sequence, but also if you get them into your emails, then you can get them into your CRM and set your follow-up sequences there. Um, and I find that that's a better way to stay on top of that relationship. Now I still may go to LinkedIn to chat with them because I get better response rates there. Like my response rate, once I've engaged with somebody is like almost a hundred percent. And I don't get those kind of response rates on email, even if I'm sending a personalized email. Um, so totally. You know, and the other thing that's nice about email and LinkedIn is if I'm going to send five messages to somebody trying to raise their attention on LinkedIn, even if it's one a month, they finally go back to LinkedIn and see my messages. It looks like I've been spamming them. You know, there's five messages in a row. So if I can alternate between email and LinkedIn, it doesn't look so spammy. Totally. Please get their permission but, before you freaking email them. A I was connection gonna ask. is not a subscription, and it drives me <laughs> nuts how many people add me to their list because they think I'm subscribed. Oh, so is there? Are you basically asking them on the call or as a follow up? I'm getting very tactical here, as you can tell. Yeah, so, sure. are are you asking them on the call, like, "Hey, I have this specific value, this specific, you know, I send out LinkedIn prospecting tips, or I have this sequence to help. Would you be interested in that? Is that the place that you're asking for it, or are you doing a follow up afterwards? Like, where do you find that best? Sit? I do several different things, and so I'm going to give three different examples because cool. different examples will be applying to different people in different situations. So. One is if I'm going to write some articles about them, I want to quote them and I'm going to need to come back to them to get quote approval. So then I ask for their email so I can email them the quote. Got it. That is not a subscription. Do not treat it as such. Do not put them in your sequence. Ask permission before you put them in your sequence. Okay. A connection is not a subscriber. Um, Yes. So the second um, option is um, to just ask them, hey, you know, I've got this email sequence. Would you like me to put you in it? And they say, yes. Then I say, send me your email. Now, that is what is called in GDPR world an explicit opt-in. 
Okay. Keep track of that. Take a screenshot of them telling you they want it because now you can put them in your email system and you are compliant with GDPR. You may still want to double opt them in, let them know that they're going to get that double opt-in email, but that is an explicit opt-in. Um, the other thing is that um, sometimes I will just send them a link to an asset. Like I have a lot of um, free webinars and stuff on my site. And so if I know that there's some free asset that I think would be valuable for them, that's going to require them to actually register on my site, then I can capture them that way too. But I think it's really important, whatever you do, is to have a plan for following up and communicate that plan to them. Like with Mike, my 10-month guy, I communicated to him. He wanted me to reach out once a month. Um, and then your point about sharing content is super helpful. I did that with Mike and with a lot of the prospects that converted. Out of those 125 sales calls in those early days, I converted 27 into sales opportunities. And not everybody was ready to buy right away. And so I was nurturing them just on LinkedIn. I would not do that again. That was painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it can be definitely taxing. But I, I, I love the way that you're thinking about leveraging multiple different systems and different sequences in order to actually get the client to the finish line. You know, it's multi-touch, basically. And that LinkedIn can be a, a gateway but it doesn't have to be the only platform that you're leveraging to build trust in a relationship Exactly. With them. And you know those posts that I was talking about, um, the customer conversations? Mm -hmm. Turn that into an email sequence. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like then you can be adding new content to that email sequence. Because just because it's relevant to this one customer today is probably going to be relevant to another prospect five months from now who might come into your sequence at that point. So don't be afraid to use that content in multiple places. Oh, that's awesome. That's great insight. Okay, so last uh, thing that I had to ask uh, to you today was, how do we feel about automation? I actually already know the answer to this, but <laughs> I, know, I know neither you or I are a big fan. But I, So I'd love to hear some of your broader thoughts about the problems with automating, especially LinkedIn uh, outreach. But I also want to understand more specifically, you know, how do you consider the sort of time trade-offs that automation supposedly solves when a sales professional or a marketing professional or somebody who's doing outbound work already has a lot to get through in a day, probably, and it sounds like, oh, if I'm not supposed to use automation, how am I going to get everything done, right? And especially in a more, what we've gone through today, intensive, personalized experience. What's, how do you consider those, those trade-offs and balances, especially within automation software? Okay, so this is a great way to frame the question. Overall, I am not opposed to automation. I use email marketing. I use mm -hmm. marketing automation platform. My email sequence is sent through a marketing automation platform. I'm not sending those sequences one off. So, you know, yeah, I'm very pro automation on that side because people expect it. What I am vehemently opposed to is using a bot to send connection requests and DMs on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it's, in theory, it's really cool. And if you look at like expandy.ai's um, website and you see these sequences that they're recommending, it's like, 
Oh my gosh, you know, if I could make that work, it would make my life so much easier. But do you know that Expandy's CEO was permanently banned from LinkedIn? And so is the company, like the company page was banned. That's not good. <laughs> and think about it from, um, so, so for anybody that doesn't know, using a bot on LinkedIn is an explicit violation of LinkedIn's terms and services. And if they catch you, they will ban you. And it's really, really easy to get caught, especially with people getting pissed about the pitch and slap and, and marking you as spam. Now think about this. If you get permanently banned from LinkedIn, how's that going to affect your career? How are you going to find another job if your potential employer can't find your profile on LinkedIn? That's like the first place people go to look and research somebody. So I don't think anybody can be permanently banned, can afford to be permanently banned from LinkedIn. And frankly, it's their playground, their rules. So we need to abide by them. Mm -hmm. Okay. But also, I've tried bots. All right. And I, you know, I'm like super persona based. I'm a marketer. I know how to personalize things. I'm like super human on LinkedIn. So you would think with my attitude, if, if I could figure out how to make a bot work, I would be the one that would be able to make it work. Right. Right. So I like narrowed things down to like just going after the buyer personas of a single company. I did the search in Sales Navigator to find that company, and I've, I've um, narrowed it down to titles in that company. I went and I did some research on that company. I had some recent news, and I was using my connection request to say, hey, congratulations on this new merger that you guys went through. That's really exciting. I'd love to chat with you about how you think that's going to affect X, and I don't remember what the X was. This seems like it would work, right? So I sent that out. My normal connection acceptance rate was 76%. I did that with bots a few times with different companies, finding something really explicit about the company, and my connection acceptance rate was below 20%. Wow. But here's the worst part. Navigator's search functionality sucks. Mm -hmm. And you can't like exclude leads from a search, and you have to run a bot against a search on Navigator. And I ended up sending that message about that merger to two different companies. Yeah, that was ah. embarrassing. Mm. Um, so now these people are going to mark me as spam. They're going to say, I don't know this person. They're like, this is a spam. This is annoying. And I'm going to risk getting banned. Mm -hmm. But I've also, I've pissed off a, pot a potential customer. Um, and it just flat out doesn't work. The pitch slap methodology that almost everybody uses when they're using a bot does not work. So please... Mm. Don't use a bot on LinkedIn. And, and you don't need to. It's not a volume game. If I can get 50% of the people I reach out to to take a meeting with me, I don't need to reach out to too many people. I made right. the mistake of booking 17 meetings one week. Oof. That was a really bad decision because I couldn't do enough week. research and prep and follow up with 17. It was too much volume. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... But it didn't take much effort to get 17 meetings. The problem was following up with 17 meetings. So it's not about volume. It's about quality of the conversation. Definitely. That's awesome, Candace. So I've enjoyed recently, Nick uh, asks his guests, so I've started doing this on my side, just to turn the tables and uh, sort of ask you, do you have a question that you'd like to ask me while we're together on this episode? Hmm. What's the one thing 
you wish prospects knew before you talk to them? Hmm. It's a great, great question. I honestly think it's something I see shared a lot, so it's not a particularly unique answer, but I always have, I always wish that they could clearly see and understand the sort of value that I provide. And that was true at, when I was at an agency, that was true when I've been freelancing, sort of, I'm not, (laughs) it's been great to work with a sales professional like Nick, because I just was never trained in sales. And so it's an area that I feel more uncomfortable with than let's say marketing or branding because branding I can whip up in my sleep but the you know whole sales side of it I'm like "Eh, I don't know about it so I'd love to be able to I think the the indication of that answer is I'd love to skip over the sales stuff and really get to the point where they just clearly see oh you know he knows what he's doing and and he understands the value or you know the the prospective um, client what understands the value that I provide but uh, you know we don't live in a utopia so I've made my peace with that and I think it's been a great learning lesson, not just in communication, but um, in sort of the steps that follow branding and branding and marketing on the front end. Now, you know, we talk about demand generation in the B2B world and all the rest of that. And there's those playbooks are really excellent at communicating value and getting interest and awareness on the front end. But there's, you know, we're human, I think. And so we have uncertainties and doubts and obstacles to really understanding. And sometimes the way we say things, people don't hear the same things. And so there's miscommunication. And and I think even though I would like prospects to understand immediately sort of the stuff that we do or the value that we could provide to them, it's actually a lot of fun navigating those conversations. And I found a lot of value from that, mostly because to the, even the point of our conversation today, I've learned new ways to communicate, new ways to tell the story that um, can change their mind or change the way that they perceive things. That's really cool. I, I think um, being able to tell a reference story can be really, really helpful. Um, I, I find that when I tell a story to someone about a way I've helped another client, you know, and really employing storytelling techniques. They'll have this aha moment and then they'll be like, Morgan, I have exactly the same problem. And and you'll be like, oh, really? Tell me more. And they'll describe something that is completely different than the story you just told. But that's okay because people discover their own stories in the story that you tell them. That's awesome. That's a great, great piece of wisdom. Thank you for sharing that, Candace. I love doing that. It's so much fun to see that click and then realize what they just told me had nothing to do with the story. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Well, um, thank you so much for being on this episode uh, and for diving so deep into your tactical approach, especially for cold prospecting, I think. This it aligns exactly with what I've been seeing, and I just really appreciate your time and willingness to share all of the little secrets and gems that you've discovered over the years. Thanks for having me. And anybody who wants to connect with me, send me a connection request on LinkedIn, but personalize it. (laughs) Her profile will be in the show notes, so make sure to personalize that DM. (laughs) Thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Morgan. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. 
But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.